If you would open your Bibles to Jude again this morning. Jude, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Always look forward to Sundays. It's good to be with my family, to worship our Father together. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you. We ask that you would open your word and feed us from it. Father, to you belongs all the riches, the power, and the wisdom that we so desperately need. And so we sit as beggars and as helpless children at your table, and we ask that you would feed us. Holy Spirit, preach a better sermon to us, taking the words that are written and the words that are said and use them in a way that no human can and do for us what we so desperately need, and yet I cannot do and none can do for ourselves, so that You are glorified, Father, Son, and Spirit in our lives, and that we would walk with the sweetness of assurance that comes from a life that depends upon You, that is guided by Your truth, that is filled with the hope that only Christ gives. So do these things, we pray now, through Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Jude, let's go back to verse 5 and then read down through verse 13 and then go back and elaborate in the time we have this morning on verses 8 through 13. Jude writes this, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men, meaning the men who crept in unaware from Verses 4, in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for the pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds, Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Solomon, I think, said it best in the book of Ecclesiastes when he tells us that there, there is nothing new under the sun. The same is true for sin. Though each sin, we might say in some ways, is a designer sin carried out in specific ways by each individual as different as we are as individuals, 
All sins are really the same. There really is nothing new under the sun, even in regards to sin. For all sin is, as R.C. Sproul said, cosmic treason against God. Cosmic rebellion against God. That is the, the root of all sin, and it's true of every sin, so that there is no new sin, there is no new thing under the sun. It is a transgressing against God, it is a rebellion directed at God and His holiness and all of the order that flows out from that. So as we look at our text this morning, the specific examples of sins in verses 5 through 7 are not particularly in view here as Jude moves from uh, the historic examples in verses 5 through 7 and now begins to deal specifically with those individuals who had crept into the church. While it may not be the same sins exactly as verses 5 through 7, it is the same in its essence. They are rebellion against God. They are cosmic treason against God. And it is to these men that he applies this overarching, unchanging truth about sin to them. Certainly there are similarities in some of the categories. But what Jude wants us to see is that they are guilty. These people who creep into the church are guilty of the overarching sin of rebellion and treason against God. And so in verses 8 through 13 this morning, we will find that, that Jude gives us two warnings. Warnings against these men and warnings against the sins that they have committed. Now, regardless of the reminders that, that we see in verses 5 through 7, and just by way of reminder, those three common uh, examples that are used throughout Jewish history are the rebellion and the unbelief of the people in Israel as they came to the promised land and yet rejected God's promise to go in. And so God caused the entire first generation to die. That this, the, the example of uh, those in Noah's day, the angels that left their proper realm that God had created them for and took upon them human flesh and commingled with human women to produce a giant race. Sodom and Gomorrah, obviously, the sins of, of perversion that occurred in those cities. Those are the sins that specifically Jude has used to illustrate the rebellion against God in each one of those cases, whether it was unbelief or perversion of some type. But I want you to notice what Jude says in verse 8. Notice how he begins. Yet in the same way, not saying they've committed the same exact sins, but in the same way, along the same lines of rebellion and treason and tyranny against God, in the same way these men have done these things. Cleon Rogers gives verse 8 a beginning of saying this, notwithstanding. They pushed headlong, these men, notwithstanding the, the specifics of the sin, they pushed headlong into the same destructive patterns and behaviors of the people in the historic examples before them. And so let's look this morning, number one, a warning against their sins. A, a specific warning against their sin. And I need to make an overarching caveat in order to rightly understand the totality uh, of this particular warning. And that is this. That, that the basis of their sin comes from a rejection of God's authority. 
That's the overarching problem here. Notice what Jude says. In the same way, these men also by dreaming. They rejected the clear word of God. And that's the overarching problem here. Is it not, it's not that God has not spoken. And it's not that God has not spoken clearly. It's that these men have rejected it in favor of their own personal dreams. What Judas saying is simply this. They claim their dreams to be a higher authority than what God has clearly spoken. They claim their truth, if you will, to use a modern term, to be of a higher authority. The canon, the foundation of all that they say and do comes from their own dreaming. The rebellious and blasphemous nature is 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 hinted at just by the very way that he says it for all they do is dream they don't retreat to the authority of god's word they don't retreat or submit to a higher authority they instead sanction themselves as the authority it is their truth now how many of you have heard someone say that either in that those terms or just by merely telling you a narrative or a story that that God told them or God showed them, rather than retreating to Scripture as the foundation of what they do, they come up with their own system of belief based on dreams or thoughts that they've had. And herein is a great warning to those who have the ears to hear. Great judgment stands against those who follow such thinking. To follow their own minds. To follow their own, their own source of depraved thinking. Romans 1, 24 and 25 spells it out this way for us. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. What's the problem with these false teachers in Jude? They are exchanging clearly revealed truth from the Word of God from the mind of God to them, for a lie. And the insanity then follows in Romans 1. They worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. They have no reasoning instincts anymore. And such dreams are not something to boast in, but something to be avoided. Jude is very clear on that point. We do not listen to these men. We do not tolerate these men. And we do not certainly participate with these men. Rather, it needs to be avoided. In the same way as those who went before rebelled against God, these men did the same by their dreaming. By their stepping outside of the authority of the Word of God and going after what they believe to be a better alternative. That's a problem. That's a big problem. Why? Because all of us are born as sinners. We are depraved in our nature, depraved in our thinking. And apart from Christ, we can think no good. We need Christ. He alone redeems the mind. Later in Romans chapter 12, there is to be a renewing of the mind, a a transformation of the entire inward man by the work of Christ. And so we need Him and we must reject all of these other ways of thinking. Why? Because we are sinful and we're perverse and you cannot put any value or, or meaning or truth to the dream of a fallen man. 
Now here's the problem with these false teachers more specifically. When they dream these things, they blasphemously assert that they are from God. Isn't it amazing that so much of the false teaching that we see, and I know it's low-hanging fruit, okay? But it serves a point of greater illustration. The TV preachers that you watch, how many of them have dreams that can be verified by anybody but themselves? They all do, right? You can't question that. That's their experience. That's their authority, right? And so they, they, they raise themselves above the point of being questioned. But here's the real issue. The real issue is when they step outside of personal experience and they violate the third commandment when they say, God told me. God showed me. In a dream that I had, well, where is that? How would you justify that from Scripture? It doesn't matter. God showed me. I had this really vivid dream. You see, the third commandment, brothers and sisters, is not just not taking the name of the Lord our God in a blasphemous way, using it as a curse word. The, the spirit and the heart of the third commandment is this. You do not say anything and attach my name to it that is contrary to my nature or what I have clearly said. That's blasphemy to say God said when God hasn't said. And if you want to know what God said, here is what God has said. It's, it is objective truth. It is identifiable. It's provable by everyone in here. From the youngest to the oldest, we know what God said. And we can all validate and verify when someone comes and says, you know, God said, okay, let's look. But these men rather blasphemously assert by their own dreams that no one can validate that God is saying certain things and allowing them to conduct their lives and teach certain things that would be contrary to the Scripture. Their dreams uh, give way to perversity. Their dreams reveal their rebellion. It is demonic licensure. It is the spirit of Satan that is working those things, not the spirit of Christ. I want you to notice how Jude goes on and describes them in their dreams. They defile the flesh. This word means to take and pollute that which is pure. To pollute something, to make it no longer usable, and it's always used in, in a moral sense. They, they pervert and, and make impure their own bodies. They, they imbibe in and enjoy and indulge in sensual, immoral behavior born out of a depraved mind. And again, sadly, we see that's often the case. Often, one of the first things that happens uh, with these false teachers that, again, the low-hanging fruit, the ones you know that are, how many of them end up mired in moral scandal? Almost all of them. They, they, they pollute themselves. And the ones that don't do it in a sexual way do it certainly in financial ways. They commit immorality. They do immoral things. They or perverts of the highest order, perverting what God has said that then allows them and gives them a, a platform, a licensure to go and live however they want. And Jude says, you need to be aware of these people. You need to, to contend with these people. Because their rebellion is no different and it's no better than the rebellion of all these horrific examples I just cited for you. 
because they wear suits and ties and live in respectable neighborhoods and drive respectable vehicles and, and look and sound legitimate. They are still as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. As fallen angels taking on human flesh and doing the unthinkable. And those in Israel who blasphemed God in the wilderness, they are no different. That's harsh language. But it's right language. It's language that we as Bible-believing Christians must take to heart and say, you know, this book is not an accident. God intends for me to think the same way. And to believe these things and to take appropriate action. Notice the second thing they do. They not only defile their flesh, they reject authority. In the world's system, rebellion is regarded as a virtue. Here's my concern for the church today. Rebellion is oftentimes thinly veiled under the guise of creativity. Nadab and Abihu, hey God, we've got a new idea for some new fire we want to try out and worship. God says, I didn't sanction that. We're creative, man. We, we want to do new things. We want to, you know, God's word's not quite getting it done. We, we, we need some help here. So we, we hire a director of performance. Because certainly he'll know how to get it done. And we do things that God has not commissioned or authorized or commanded in Scripture to do in worship. And it's rebellion against God. It's a rejection of God's authority. We do, we do our own thing. We do our own way. God, no, no, no. I'll do it my way. I'll conduct my life this way or conduct my business. No, no. God says how we're to do this. It's a rejection of authority and it shows the perversion of sin when we do that. The insanity of this is they dream things that have no authority, have no power, have no knowledge, and they pretend in reality to be on an equal level with God. God says, I don't tolerate those things. I destroy those things. The only reality with such a prerogative to to live that way and to carry out is what God has clearly commanded. It's abject foolishness. And brazenness to rebel like these people. And Jude's trying to make that point. And he'll give some illustrations in a moment that, that really mark out the insanity of it. It's the mark of the depraved to, to come up with a, a different source of authority, dreams or visions or personal interpretations and private interpretations. It, it's the mark of the depraved that do that, not the mark of the people of God. False teachers do this. Rules don't apply to them because they dream, but they're the prophet. They're the apostle. They are the super spiritual ones. Don't question them. After all, don't you know how many times they've read the Bible and how long they've been a Christian and how many degrees they have and whatever the case may be. And Jesus says it doesn't matter. They, they have rejected the authority of Scripture. They, they rejected the authority of God. And they lead people to believe that they are submitting to the rule and authority of God if they follow them. They'll follow their newfound teaching or whatever it might be. Rebellion against the rule of God is to assert one's ignorance and one's stupidity, not one's wisdom and not one's conversion. And it is to invite His judgment. And notice what else they do. 
Not only do they defile the flesh, they reject authority, but they revile angelic majesties. And, and this, this particular phrase has been somewhat difficult to translate. Different men have, have tried to interpret that different ways. The language is, is somewhat unclear because it's so unique to Jude. We don't find it in, in, used in other places in Scripture that often. So it's hard to take a corollary in comparison. But when you compare it to the context of what follows, we, we can get a pretty good idea of what is going on. The, these false teachers revile angelic majesties. What do they mean by that? Well, we find a corollary passage in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 that helps us to understand what Jude is saying. He says this, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. Have they done that? Yes. They despise authority. We see that in Jude. They're daring. They're self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. And so what I believe that Jude is saying here is that they are so brazen that they mock and openly play with the demonic realm and the angelic majesties that Jude has already mentioned in previous verses. And they mock them as though they are more powerful than those created beings of God. And we need to understand this, brothers and sisters, because it is all around us in the charismatic movement especially. God made angels glorious. They, they wield a different power than what we do in the, the physical human realm. They are special creatures that God has made. Some of them have fallen and some of them have remained faithful to their created purposes in God. But we need to understand this. Just because they fell and just because they are corrupt does not mean that that rendered them completely void of the way God created them. They are still powerful beings. There are still powerful demonic angels. And I don't say that in fear, but I say that with healthy respect. It is still true that, as Paul says, there is the prince of the power of the air who rules this world. It's a real thing. And yet these men, these false teachers, revile them. They curse them as if they were superior to these angelic beings that still possess a majesty in their power and in, in the way God created them. And Jude says false teachers one way you can spot them is that they will revile angelic majesties. They defame their existence. They mock them. And in verse 10, Jude actually gives the example of this. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. So he's referring back to the end of verse 8 at the beginning of verse 10. He's referring, he's like, these men are so unwise. They're so foolish in their behavior that they don't even understand that they're out of their league and messing with this realm. They revile angelic majesties. They command angelic majesties. They play with Satan. They, they rebuke Satan. Again, it's low-hanging fruit, but it's very true. How many of you have ever seen a false teacher claim to be the man of God and just go around and man he's just rebuking demons everywhere and he's casting demons out and, and, and it's disgusting and Jude says you better be careful you don't know what you're messing with after all if Michael the archangel one of the supreme angels that God ever committed would not himself issue a rebuke to Satan instead he said Lord you handle it 
You better wake up, guys. This is not something the Christian who is true to Scripture goes around doing. They claim to be the man of God. They claim to have power over demons. Even more brazenly, they they claim to have the power against Satan to just cast him out and tell him what to do. And Jude says, "Mm." they revile things they do not understand. I think the book of Acts has something to say about that, don't you? Remember, uh, there are a couple of accounts in the book of Acts where where, uh, apostles or others tried to cast out demons, and what happens? They get beat up. They make it worse than it was before. Jude says, you don't go around doing that, and yet that's what these false teachers do. We see it on TV all the time. We read it in the bookstores all the time. Um, Which, by the way, be you almost have to have more discernment walking into Mardell than you do Barnes and Nobles. I mean, Barnes and Noble is just pretty clear. There's a bunch of garbage in there, right? But when you walk in Mardell, it's confusing. You need more discernment there to weed out the garbage because it uses all the right terminology in Christian publishing today, which is largely a cesspool. And we read so much about this that people wanting power over angelic beings. And Jude says it's just grossly in error to think that you have that kind of power it doesn't belong within the realm of the believing people of god true people of god understand this is a weighty and serious thing and we need to take it serious we don't dwell on it but we need to take it seriously michael again i mentioned him just a moment ago the the archangel he is an angel created at the highest level endowed with with mighty authority and power. We read about him in Daniel chapter 10. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. However, I will tell you, verse 21, what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Daniel 12, 1, now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred. And since there was a nation until that time and when when at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Referring to the book of Revelation in chapter 12, verse 7, and there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon who is Satan and the dragon and his angels waged war. It's obvious that Michael is no He's no ordinary angel. He's engaged in high-level missions that God has sent him on. And he's not only uniquely powerful, he's uniquely wise. And he's so wise that, that he refuses to get involved in this rebuking of angelic majesties. In Zechariah, we find another example of this. Zechariah gives us the account of Joshua the priest, and he comes before the Lord and his clothes are soiled and Satan comes along with him kind of like in Job and he's accusing Joshua to God. And in Zechariah chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, we read this, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? 
And so Michael, in his wisdom, when he disputes with Satan over the body of Moses, takes from the book of Zechariah, from the authoritative word of God, and says, listen, the Lord deal with you. The Lord rebuke you, not me. I mean, Michael is wise enough to understand how the world works. And so Michael is a wise and powerful angel, and yet he doesn't even revile angelic majesties the way these foolish false teachers do. Arrogance leads to presumption, but humility leads to victory. And if Michael, the greatest of all the angels, is able to humble himself and submit himself to the authority of the Word of God, not mere dreaming and not an overinflated view of himself, then brothers and sisters, we must do so as well. The case that Jude cites with Moses arguing with Satan about the body of Moses is an interesting case. When Moses died, Michael doesn't take matters into his own hands, apparently. Not even the archangel takes it into his own hands and tries to do his own thing. A lot of this comes from Jewish history. It's not necessarily an inspired account, but Jude using it again as an example from history. History that these people are familiar with. He says, remember, you've heard that Moses and Satan, I mean, Michael and Satan argued about who was going to get the body of Moses after he died and, and, and where they would bury it and those sorts of things. He says, remember, Michael was wise in how. And by the way, let me just add a caveat. Just adding in Jesus' name doesn't make you a supernatural, omnipotent person. So many people who go around today saying things and doing things and then they just say, well, in Jesus' name. Like that's the magic bullet that, that makes them invincible and makes them perfect and everything. That's not, uh, that's not the silver bullet. And we need to be careful about that. Again, that could be the height of blasphemy, assigning to something Jesus' name that Jesus has nothing to do with. Or that Jesus would be ashamed of. And yet, that's become so common in, in Christianese today to just throw Jesus' name off. That's just adding to the blasphemy of it. Rather, Michael understands his place. He understands who the real power resides within. And he says, the Lord deal with you. The Lord will rebuke you. The powerful one who created you. What false teachers do, no such thing. They charge headlong into the demonic realm that they do not understand, from which they themselves are descended as children of Satan, not children of light, and they play the charade of casting out demons. Beware of people who think little of God's created power and order and overstep their bounds. Just like the fallen angels of Noah's day, they overstepped their bounds. They thought little of God's order and power and they, they overstepped their own bounds. And in their own passions, they did what they wanted to do. And that is what Jude is saying. That's exactly what these false teachers do. That is exactly how they behave. This is the first warning, a warning against their sin, a warning against rebellion and arrogance and treason against God. 
But there's one final truth I want you to see in this initial warning against that sin, that in their blindness and arrogance, they do, they revile in ignorance that which they do not understand. And they fully indulge. Look at the rest of verse 10. They, they, they revile what they don't understand. And then they participate in the things that they do with animal-like passion. Look at the end. And the things which they know by instinct, it's not a cognitive thing, it's not a spiritual thing, it's not any of those sorts of things, but like unreasoning animals, by these they are destroyed. He is referring again to the immoral and destructive practices of the flesh that when they're left unchecked will destroy you. Again, just as much as as we hear it, and apparently it's been being echoed down through the, the ages, Men who claim to be the man of God and have the power in Jesus' name and all these sorts of things have manipulated and carried out immoral, fleshly, sinful practices by manipulating people under that guise. Well, I'm the man of God. You need to fulfill my desires. It's okay. God said it's okay. I mean, this stuff is everywhere. And if you ever hear a man... Uh, claiming to be a man of God or somebody in spiritual leadership begin to take advantage of people like that, you know one thing for sure. He is a false teacher. And you had better run for your life. That's a cult leader. That's a satanic leader, not a godly leader. But like wild animals who just simply act on instinct without any reason in their mind. Again, that goes back to Paul in Romans chapter 1. Uh, the depravity of man, it leads to having no reasoning ability, no reasoning capability. God turns them over to those desires, and they destroy themselves, Jude says. I want you to notice in verse 11, as Jude closes, he gives a warning not only about their sin, he gives a warning about the future. Unless we take this lightly, Jude puts on the robe and the mantle of the prophet and he cries out, Woe to them! Woe to them! Think about Isaiah and think about all the other prophets who who spent so much of their time declaring woe to Israel, woe to Judah, woe to Assyria, woe to Egypt, woe to Babylon. God is against you. And so so Jude offers a warning about the future. And why should we warn then of such men? Why should we as Christians take this seriously? Well, that's just so negative. You know, that's just just focus on the positive things. Because Jude says this is the mindset we have to have. Because in the last days, the evil men grow worse and worse. And so we need to be aware that these things are real. And so Jude says, woe to them. Because we understand the seriousness of what is at stake. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of the word of God, the hope of heaven. Those things are on the line if we fall prey to their false teaching. It's because because we understand the seriousness of what is at stake and what they are facing. We ought to echo with Jude a prophetic woe against them. To call them out. So that they are warned and others are warned as well. I want you to notice that Jude guides our thinking down three paths 
to help us understand this pronouncement of woe. These methods are used by the prophets and used by Jesus Himself in illustrating these very things. But notice what Jude says, Woe to them, you have, they have gone the way of Cain. What's the way of Cain? Well, we remember back to the book of Genesis in chapter 4. We find Cain, who's a man who had every opportunity to do what was pleasing to God. Every opportunity. He, he could have brought an, a, a sacrifice to God just like his brother Abel did, but he chose not to do the good and rather to do what is evil and what was contrary to what God desired. And when his sin was confronted, and by the way, Cain was confronted two times. Cain was confronted first when his offering was rejected. God says, no good. He's confronted a second time after he's killed his brother and he has an opportunity to repent and confess his sin. And rather than do that, he, he bristles up at God and he fights God. And so Cain has had every opportunity both to do good and then to admit his evil and humble himself before God. But rather than do that, he doubles down and he did so in a way that was to his own destruction. He hated what was good. And so he determined it had to go. He fought against it. To the point that he murdered his brother and then tries to cover it up. And then when God calls him out on it, he still refuses to repent. Even though he knows he's been had. This is the pattern of false teachers. They run headlong into the sin and the way of Cain. They know what is right and they reject it. And then they promote what is wrong. And when they are called out on it, they can double down and continue to fight against that confrontation. And Jude says, you better watch. This is exactly what happens. And just like Cain, who was angry that his sacrifice wasn't accepted, he stopped at nothing to get what he wanted, including the murder of his own brother. Defiled passion. Eliminate all that testifies against my dream, what I want. Cain does this. And then he uses the illustration of Balaam. In Numbers chapter 22 and 24, by the way, if you want to read an interesting and fascinating episode in Israel's history, read, go reread that. Just one of those chapters that will stick with you or should stick with you. In Balaam, we find a weak prophet who was consumed by greed. He loved money. He loved prestige. So much so that he took a bribe against the people of God when confronted with an opportunity, he, rather than side with the people of God, he chose to side with Balak and take a bribe to go curse the people of God. You remember the story, God does two miracles. First of all, the donkey, controlled by God, begins to smash Balaam's foot up against the wall. And Balaam says, what did I ever do to you? And the donkey opens his mouth and begins to talk. That ought to be your sign, right? But it's not. So as he goes to curse the people of Israel, as he begins to try to curse them, God causes him to bless them instead. 
Balaam runs headlong into greed. Peter warns that false teachers are the same in 2 Peter chapter 2. And in their greed, verse 3, they will exploit you with false words. But their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. They will pay for what they do. Because they are greedy, because they, they, they want what they want, because they have dreamed that God told them they should have this, they'll stop at nothing to get it. And it doesn't matter what the it is. A position, a certain level of financial well-being, private jets, it doesn't really matter. They'll stop at nothing to get what they want including exploiting the poor. You do realize that most of these television, I I won't even use the word what they call themselves because it's an insult to those who really are ministers. But you realize that they ride on the back. If you study the statistics, and great studies have been done to show this, they, they, they manipulate and exploit poor people. They extract their money from those who really don't have it to give. And Jude says, their destruction is not asleep. They will pay for this. Not only do they volitionally choose evil and choose to exploit the people of God for their own gain, they continue to try. Even after confronted by their error. He goes on, he uses one last example, the people of Korah. Korah was another tragic chapter in Israel's history. Korah was born into the priestly line of Levi who knew the law of God. He had every opportunity to do what was right in the sight of God. And not only did he have the opportunity, he knew that that is what he should do, and yet he chose to do the very opposite. And instead of submitting to and working with God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron, he rebelled against them. He rebelled against God's plan for the people of God, and his rebellion was met with a swift and sudden destruction. How? The earth opens up and swallows him and all his followers. And you would think that Israel would have learned the lesson, but they didn't. Rebellion still continued to tragically be part of their history. God, in essence with Korah, says that my plan and my sovereignty and my rule will not be hijacked by your rebellion and the rebellion of those who follow you. I don't care how many of you there are. Priest or not. Doctor so and so or not. Evangelist so and so or not. Teacher so and so or not. I don't care who you are. You don't exploit my truth. My word. My power. And so God judged them. And this is a very clear warning Jude is giving to these readers. Woe to these people. You need to be sober. You need to look for the the earmarks of what constitutes false teaching. However it is manifest. And you need to contend against it and get out of its way. Have nothing to do with it. Jude concludes in verses 12 and 13 with a warning to the people. There's a warning against sin. There's a warning against the future for these false teachers. 
because of their sin. And then there is a warning to the people of God about the clear and present danger they face because of these people. It's clear what is at stake. It is clear what these imposters do. But notice all of the things that, that Jude gives them to look at as analogies. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring only for themselves. He gives three analogies that, that wake Christians up from a Pollyanna mentality that everything's going to be, you know, sunny and wonderful and happy and we can just all sing and we can all get along and everybody in my world only means the best and they're all accepted by God and they're all right. Jude says, that's naive. That is naive. They are like a hidden reef. At your love feast, that's what makes them so particularly dangerous. They are a hidden reef. Now let me ask you a question. Where are reefs? They're just below the surface of the water. They're not way down deep where they're not going to affect anything, where nobody knows what's down there. In the bottom of the Mariana Trench, in the middle of the Pacific. No, where are the reefs? They're just below the surface, and they're also, listen to this, they're closest to home. Reefs grow close to the shore. They grow close to the harbor. They're right there where where you go. They're right where you need to be. And he's saying, they are like that. They're in your churches. They're the people that you look at and say, they look so saintly on the outside. But they're, they're a hidden reef. They infiltrate the most disarmed time in the church's life is when they eat together. That, that's, that was a common in, in ancient Near Eastern customs. You were really intimate with somebody when you ate with them. That was the ultimate form of expressing hospitality or intimacy with someone when you shared a meal. And where are these hidden reefs? They're close to home and they're participating in one of the most intimate things that the church could do. They've now heard the word of God together and now they're eating together. Just enjoying one another's company. And lurking in your midst, Jude says, may be those who lie and deceive and destroy and they're luring people away with their charisma and their personalities and their charm and their perceived wisdom you need to wake up church pollyanna will get you killed but jude might keep you alive spiritually speaking all that glitters is not gold and all that names the name of teacher isn't godly so be careful. The second analogy he uses is they're like clouds without waters. He draws this from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. <laughs> We're a, I am a great teacher. I'm a great leader of men. You need to listen to me. They promise benefit and they promise times of refreshing. Just like, well, it's starting to look like that outside. But we all live in Midland, and as my wife, who's a much better meteorologist than any of the people on TV, you understand, because she's a pessimist. And I say, oh, look, it's going to rain. It won't rain. Look at all the dark clouds. It won't rain. And you know what? 99% of the time, she's right. And we know how disappointing that is in West Texas because we want the rain so bad, and we see these clouds, and you're thinking, oh, it's going to rain. 
And it's humid all day and it's cloudy all day and, the, and they just pass you by and the next thing you know, the sun's out and there's not a cloud in the sky. That's what false teachers are like. They leave people devastated who got their hopes up and then they dash them. They're clouds without water. They don't help. They only hurt. They're like an autumn tree, that final harvest of the year. Israel functioning in much the same climate as West Texas does, having similar seasons to West Texas. And, and we, we harvest when, Larry, right? In the fall. Cotton, peanuts. And that's about all we harvest out here. But we harvest in the fall. You gather in that last crop. And, and Jude says, they're like an autumn tree that buds out. And you're, you're just waiting for the fruit to come. And there's, there's flowers on the tree. There, there, there's an expectancy about it. And it's in the autumn. And, and then when it comes, there's no fruit. You see, we don't understand that because, oh, how many of you try to garden this year? How many of you had your garden perform as you hoped it would have? Yeah, me either. Right. But we don't we don't sweat it. Why? We get in our car and we drive down to H-E-B and we just go to the produce section and we buy what we need. You didn't do that in. Ancient times. If your tree didn't produce, that means you went hungry for the winter. And Jude says this is their last chance at harvest and their hopes are up because there's flowers on the tree in the autumn, and we think we're going to have enough food to get through the winter. And then there is nothing, and not only is there nothing, it is dead inside, right? And then in the midst of it all, it becomes uprooted. It's doubly dead. Not only did it not produce, but now the tree doesn't even exist. Jesus says in Matthew 17, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that's what false teachers are like. They are twice useless. They're non-productive. They're not rooted. They are doubly dead. Then he says they're like wild waves of the sea. Drawing upon Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 57, verses 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The wicked are, are like an ocean whose, whose, whose waves just put detritus and garbage up on the beach after a storm. I lived through two hurricanes in my time in college in Florida. And after both times, there is just unbelievable carnage and the smell of rotted garbage everywhere because of everything the sea puts up on the shore. And Jude says that's what they do. And, and, and what they're throwing up on the shore, look what he says, they are casting up their own shame. What shame? Their greed, their perversion, their arrogance, and it stinks. Baking in the hot sun there on the sand. It's washed up after the storm. And there's no, notice what he says. They have no shame in that. They're not ashamed. They're, they're, they're not repentant. They're unchanging. <laughs> so what? I'm the man of God. I'm the prophet. I'm the teacher. I'm the apostle. I'm the educated one. You're false. And then Jude says they're like wandering stars. Again, 
For us, not a big deal. But in the ancient world, stars were literally survival because you had to navigate by them. And if you fixed your sextant and you used your tools to navigate on a star that was always moving, or even worse, a meteor that would fly across and flame out, you were in trouble. They're a wandering star. It's like a comet. We've all seen falling stars. Man, whatever light it had is all it will ever have. And if you navigate by that and it doesn't produce any lasting light where tomorrow night I can lock into the same star and keep going on a known path in the same direction, man, you are now confirmed to what? Outer darkness. You're really lost. Irretrievably lost. This speaks to the judgment for which they were marked out long ago. He says, they are wandering stars for whom the black darkness, that is part of their judgment, has been reserved forever this is what we must be aware of this is what we must guard against this is what we must stay faithful to the word of god and following christ so that we too don't become this and fall away it's a serious threat and it needs to be taken seriously and i know That sounds negative and it sounds so unappealing. And it's not going to win any awards for making us feel good, but it might keep you alive. To be warned that these things are real. And we need to take them seriously. The reality is that there has been and always will be people who try to infiltrate and corrupt the true people of God. Why? Because they ultimately want to get at Him. They want to sabotage the work God does. They want to sabotage the saving gospel that said no one is really saved. They're demonic. And we as people who love Christ and love others, we must be aware and we must be warned and we must be willing to not only confront the false teachers, but we need to warn other people about them and help other people see the dangers that they face if they follow their teaching. Otherwise, the destruction of the false teachers will become their destruction as well. You see, all of these things that Jude mentions, the reefs, the clouds, the trees, the wild waves of the sea, the wandering stars, it doesn't just affect the false, it affects everybody around them it has the potential to to magnify its effect. So we need to be careful and we need to love enough to tell the truth and to confront with the truth in order to save many people from destruction. May God give us the courage. May God give us the biblically informed wisdom to do that. Through the change that Christ makes in us by the power of the gospel that transforms our mind and renews our mind and causes us to be able to stand firm for the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the warnings. They're not as fun to hear, perhaps, but they are absolutely as necessary to hear because we understand what's at stake. Eternity is at stake. Your glory is at stake. 
Your truth is at stake. So help us, Father, to be faithful. Lord, we realize in the ultimate and final analysis, we will not keep ourselves from falling, but it will be You by Your Spirit. Just as Jude closes with that, now to Him who is able to keep us from stumbling, to cause us to stand in Your glorious presence, blameless and with great joy. We understand, Father, that will be the only way we make it home, just as the only way that we'll be saved is by Your doing, by Your grace. So, Father, keep us filled with truth, with renewed minds, filled with discernment that comes from Your Spirit, preserved by Him so that we will not stumble and we will not fall, nor will we become the cause of others stumbling and falling. So keep us near to You, Lord Jesus, we pray for Your sake. Amen.